That's for our sermon. So, who are you? When you're asked that question, what would you say? I think a lot of us, we would have kind of a list of things we think might be necessary to answer for who we are. We, we think that a lot of things are important to who we are. After all, identity in our culture is very important to us. Who am I? What's important about my identity? A lot of people value their identity so much and they think uh, certain parts of who they are are core, right? They, they can't be who they are without these things, right? Identity is very important. Who am I? I'm Aaron Hill. I'm the son of Russell and Carol Ann Hill. I'm from the Waco, Texas area, etc. right? I, the list could go on. I could list you all things that I think are important to tell you about who I am. And I'm sure, like me, you could have a long list of things that make up who you are. And in our passage today, this is the first question we see in John chapter 1. So turn me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse 19 says this, And this is the testimony of John when asked, well, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Now, the priests and Levites, they ask him this question because they're concerned about who John is. He's a rogue preacher. He seems to have some sort of following. And the religious elite, they do not like this, right? After all, they're the ones who are supposed to have this authority. After all, they think that God has given them such authority over their religion. Who is John? Who is this crazy, crazy preacher? Who does he think he is? So when we read this, verse 19, who are you? Don't think that they're coming to him to have a nice, friendly conversation. Okay, No, they are concerned about John as a threat. And the way John answers in verse 20 is actually kind of funny to me. He says, He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. See, instead of just going on and listing things about who he is, what he thinks is important about himself. He didn't say, I'm homeless, you know, I like to wear camel skin. He didn't do that. He didn't list things about himself. Instead, he says, I am not the Christ. Could you imagine somebody doing that to you? You go up to somebody, you ask them, who are you? And they say, well, I'm not the doctor, right? Can you imagine that, how ridiculous that would be? You know, I didn't ask who you weren't. I asked, who are you? The way John replies is not the usual way we would reply to this question, his response is kind of funny, but I think his response actually highlights something very important. You see, instead of drawing attention to himself, instead of listing things he might think are important about himself, who does he put the attention on? Christ. Essentially, he's saying, who I am is not important. What really matters is who Christ is. It's not about me. Christ meaning the anointed one, the Messiah, the Savior. See, the Pharisees, the Levites, the priests, they would have known what Christ meant. However, they expected the wrong kind of person. They expected an earthly ruler to establish their kingdom on earth, not a Messiah who would suffer. But John, on the other hand, has someone else in mind. And I wish that we would think and act like John did. Instead of being so concerned about who we are, we ought to put emphasis on who Christ is. Because here's the thing, when all is said and done, when everything comes to fruition, when everything is done with, when this world is done with as it is, it's not going to matter who we are, but who 
Christ was and is. Take Philippians 3, verse 7 as an example. Philippians 3, verse 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Galatians 6, 14. But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, the Apostle Paul knows this too. Who I am doesn't matter. When everything's done, who I am won't matter. It's not going to really make an impact. What really makes an impact and what has made an impact throughout all history, the person who has impacted history the most is by far Jesus Christ, and that's just not debatable. Anybody with eyes to see can see that Jesus has had the biggest impact on history and for the rest of time. Jesus is the one who matters. So all John's response to this question, who are you? It's unconventional to be sure, but I think he has the right idea. And now after the Levites and the priests, they get their initial answer. They decide to start listing people because, you know what, you're not going to be straightforward with us. We're just going to go through a list here. So verse 21 says this. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. They go through a list. Who are you? Now, Elijah really isn't a bad guest if you consider the fact that John, he's wearing camel skin. Elijah also wore uh, hair, right? Clothes made of hair. That's in 2 Kings 1, verse 8. But they also might have Malachi, verse, or chapter 4, verses 5 through 6 in hand. So Malachi, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 say this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers and their children and the hearts of their children of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So truly, Elijah, based on what they know, based on their knowledge, is not a bad guess. And then, of course, they keep guessing. They guess the prophet, right? Well, which prophet, right? There are a lot of those in the Old Testament. Which prophet are you talking about? They seem to have Deuteronomy 18 in mind. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15, 18, and 19. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him you shall listen to. Verse 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I have commanded him. Verse 19. Whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself require it from him. So this might be who they have in mind, a prophet to come. But John, he says, you know what, nope. Keep guessing, right? Keep guessing. Uh, And then they say to John in verse 22, verse 22 says this. They say to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replies, he said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. And here John, he quotes in response, Isaiah chapter 40. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 40. Verses 1 through 5. Let's see what he's drawing from. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her welfare is ended, or warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord hand, Lord's hand double for all her sins. 
A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. So here we see this is actually common practice for the time. Anytime a king would travel anywhere, servants would go ahead and let me get water real quick, man. I don't know what it is. I'll start coughing. This is common practice at the time. Servants would go ahead of the king to make sure the way was safe, the way was good for them to travel. And so John, that's what he's trying to tell them. He's saying, look, I've come to prepare the way. He takes emphasis on himself and puts it on the Lord. Look, I'm just here to prepare the way for somebody who is by far more important than I. Verse 24 says this. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. Now that there, that might just seem like an unimportant side note, but that actually gets behind the motive of the priests and the Levites. They're sent from the Pharisees, right? Pharisees being the people who were rule followers, right? They wanted to follow the law to a T, even to the minor details, right? They wanted to follow the law to a T. They were, in other words, legalistic. To them, there is something really off about John and what he is doing, and that is his baptism. So, verse 25, if you'll turn there for a moment as I get another drink of water. They're concerned about John's baptism. Verse 25. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet. See, they're probably concerned about John's baptisms because of their religious context. Now, this might surprise you, but baptism has its roots in Jewish practice. So Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30, verses 17 through 21. The Lord said to Moses, You shall also make a basin of bronze with stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn food or a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so they might not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so they might not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. So essentially what we see is the priests, they had to wash themselves with water before entering the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, to make sacrifices to God. They had to wash themselves, in other words, before they entered into God's presence. And in Leviticus 15, what you see is that all Israelites, if they were ritually unclean, they had to wash themselves with water before entering the temple. In fact, later on in Jewish tradition, they had what were called mikvahs, and mikvahs were just basins of water, and basically everybody had to go and wash through them, dip through them, before entering the temple, before they came into God's presence. And look at what John says about his baptism in verses 26 and 27. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. 
Who does he point to? He points towards Christ. Now think about this. Since baptism was a common practice for people to prepare themselves to enter into the presence of God, what does that tell us about John's baptism? Why does he baptize? Yes, he's calling to people to, people to repent, but ask yourself, who was coming? The Son of God was coming. It seems that John is baptizing them to prepare them for the presence of God in Jesus. He's preparing them for Christ to be revealed as the Son of God. And this is probably why the Pharisees were so confused. Like, wait a minute, John, why are you baptizing baptism so that people can enter the temple into the presence of God? That's what they had in mind. But John, for him, he's preparing people for Christ and the presence of God in Christ. See, baptism has a lot more significance than I think we often think of. Let's look at verse 28. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Again, this might seem like an insignificant side note, but no, don't, don't read past this. Let's take you all the way back to the book of Joshua. Right? In the book of Joshua, Joshua being Moses' successor, what happened before they got into the promised land? Where did they go through? They went through the Jordan River. And where is John baptizing? He's baptizing in the Jordan River. And so don't take these Old Testament parallels lightly. John, it kind of seems like he's pointing towards a new, a better promised land that Christ will bring. A promised land that is a heavenly kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. See, we can't take these Old Testament parallels lightly. There is a point to them. Let's move on to verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Finally, we get to see this man that John has been so emphasizing, Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world. Verses 30 and 31. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Remember, in the beginning was the word. He's before him. He's before everyone. Verse 31. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Remember, John, he's preparing people for Christ. Baptism signals that they are being prepared for the presence of God. Verse 32, And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself, verse 33, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, that is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Twice John says, I myself did not know him. That's kind of weird, right? After all, John and Jesus, they were related. So John, he, he knew of Jesus. They were related. They know, they know each other. But he says, I do not know him. See, the reason I think he says that is because he did not know him to be the Christ. I think that's what he's saying here. He did not know that he was the Christ. Until what? Until he saw the Spirit descend and remain on him. God told him, look, you got to look for this one who is going to have the Spirit descend and remain on him. God revealed Christ to him. And I think the reason John insists, he says, I did not know him. I did not know him. But until God revealed him. There's a lot of talk of coming to know Christ. There's a lot of talk of it. But let's make one thing clear. 
When we come to know Christ, it's not because we are particularly special. It's not because we are particularly any smart. That doesn't make any sense, but you get my point. It's not because of us. We don't come to know Christ because we have knowledge. We, because, we don't come to know Christ because we're wise. We only come to know Christ because Christ has revealed himself. I think this is pretty straightforward, right? We cannot know Christ without him first revealing himself. We cannot know Christ without him first coming down on earth in the flesh to reveal himself and to reveal God. Now, all this being said, John again putting the emphasis on Christ What does John say about Jesus' baptism? He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is very important. This is very important. I think we don't put enough emphasis on this. Yes, I certainly believe being immersed in water is important. We're told to do so when we repent. But ask yourself, are we being baptized by the Holy Spirit? Baptism meaning immersion, cleansing, it's a mark of devotion. So in other words, are we devoted to the Spirit? Are we immersed in the Spirit? Are we cleansed by the Spirit? Right, Acts 2.38, it promises us that if we're baptized, we're going to receive forgiveness and we're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But does it say anything about being baptized by the Spirit? No. We're promised the Spirit. We're promised forgiveness. But that does not guarantee baptism of the Holy Spirit. We can dip people all day, but that does not mean they're going to be baptized. That does not mean they're going to be immersed. That does not mean they're going to be cleansed, which is to say sanctified and changed by the Spirit. As we discussed a few weeks ago, the Spirit is a gift It is a gift, but ask yourself, do you listen to him? Do you allow the Spirit to cleanse you? Do you allow the Spirit to change your life? If you don't, you're missing out. If you don't, you've just had water pass over you. And that's about it. And I think John knows that the people, they're missing out. He's dealing with these people who are interrogating him, asking him who he is and why he's baptizing, but he knows they are missing out. They're so concerned about who he is that they don't really see who matters, which is Christ. So I want you to ask yourself, who really matters? Who are you? And who are you without Christ? Because John, he's fully aware that he's absolutely nothing without Christ. He can't help but win this to who Jesus is because Jesus is the one who matters. Verse 34. John says, and I have seen, and I have borne witness. Remember that word witness, martyria, directly related to the word martyr. I have seen, I have borne witness, I have been willing to go to death because this, this is the Son of God. So have you seen? Have you borne witness? You can as we stand and sing.